Plus, I'm getting a good back and forth. We got like a rapport going. You know? <laughs> My God, we're hitting this hot. We're hitting this one hot. I, I, you know what? Here's the thing. Here's yeah. the thing. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> I, I, I drank a little caffeine this morning. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, man. And you know me, I'm, I'm anti no caffeine guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, I'm getting A plus today. <laughs> my, That's what I'm my, getting. My body is a temple. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Mine is not. Mine is more of a junkyard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of junkyards, Ooh, uh, I, I've um, never seen. I've never seen this movie that you brought up before That's this true. morning you're a junkyard of a movie viewer <laughs> That's a good i'd segue. never yeah, thank you i i'd never seen this movie before nine o'clock this morning <clears throat> that is insanity and, uh, to me i know i know Adam, i know what's going I, you know on what? i'll tell you i'll tell you what's going on this came out in 1993 and yeah. i and i was raised in a conservative home and Ooh. so i couldn't watch it I, I i couldn't watch it and then by the time i was old enough to watch these kind of movies it wasn't really around it's, anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, not, it wasn't really a thing at that point. Here's the thing about Demolition Man, is that it's surprising <laughs> in its legacy. In Yes, I because agree. Because it is not a good enough... I mean, it's. I'm going to make an argument today about it is a good film, which we all know. Wow, wow. We're just doing whatever. But yeah. um, <laughs> its legacy, like I would say that it's like not a movie we needed. That's probably no, a fine statement. Definitely not. Definitely and not. Yet it keeps... Its relevance keeps coming back time and time again. I mean, there's like... Gattaca, there's like higher art. It's kind of what this show is about, right? Like we, there's yes. some things that were like Demolition Man, fucking let's go. Uh, other times it's like Gattaca. I guess we could talk about Gattaca. Is Gattaca too like high art? I don't know. No, no. Gattaca, not Gattaca fits here. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. I, think, I think it fits. The ongoing uh, conversation of what the show is about <laughs> is what you're hearing. <laughs> Dear reader. If you, guys, if you guys don't know, just rest assured, neither do we. Neither do <laughs> we. We also don't know. Yeah. Uh, can, I just, yeah. can I just share uh, very quickly at the outset? Yeah, please. Uh, this is more this, interesting. Tell me your film, initial opinions of Demolition Man, you <laughs> maniac. My God. My God. Uh, this film... Okay, so I don't, want, I don't want to say anything about your thesis, but it seemed like it was trying very hard to be a Paul Verhoeven film. Like, it really wanted to be a oh, Paul Verhoeven yeah. film. Uh, yeah. Like, but I feel it's like not. that was the... <laughs> I, it definitely isn't. Uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is, it had a bigger budget than Jurassic Park and then Schindler's List, both of which Hold on. came out the same year. Yeah, that, that Can you sounds that? impressive. That sounds impressive, but let's uh, yeah. act like we don't know. Like, let's act like Spielberg isn't fucking got that shit on lock. He's just right. amazing at that. Right, right, so right, right. So if right. he's the data point, it's a little skewed, but you're absolutely right. Holy shit. I guess that's true because it's Spielberg. It actually works against the argument that it's that that's an insane thing. Uh, but it's still it's, pretty crazy. It's, it's still pretty crazy. The budget is also v- widely variant. Did you notice that? I read I did, multiple. Yeah, I forty-five heard, uh, to seventy-seven is what's on Wikipedia right now. Yeah. And after a f- initial research, like. I think the reason that they have that wide variety is on promotional materials because they spent so much money on just advertising this shit. 
making yeah, sure that sure. it was like the the hit of the summer. I don't even know. No, it came I, out in October. But like, I remember it. it. Really, I remember the. I remember the ads for it. There was like build pretty, up. Pretty, there's yeah, posters yeah, yeah. and shit like oh, that yeah. back in the day, and it wasn't really as calculated as it was, let's say now. But so that's one reason for inflation. Uh, the other reason is actual inflation. But if you look at movies like recently, it's like. Oh, 45 million, whatever. That sounds like, what? <laughs> that doesn't matter. 77 they million? It's still like, what? Really? They didn't make movies for that expensive back then. Like, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves was famously the biggest budget of all time. And it was right. around that time, right? It was like a year or two later. And it wasn't a mm-hmm. lot more money. I should know this because you have a video games podcast. You ever play uh, Katamari Damacy? I have not played that. That's the one where you roll the ball. And you just keep rolling and rolling, and you get little, you little bit by bit by bit by bit until you're a big ball, and that's the end of the game. Oh, that's interesting. I haven't played yeah, it now. Yeah. It's just a snowball effect the game. Um, and uh, that's what's happening with our movie industry. You sure. Know, just, not just, now. Well, not, not now. now. Nothing's yeah. <laughs> happening now. But well, yeah. I think this is the great reckoning uh, for, for the Perhaps. cost of making movies and for theaters but uh i don't want to digress too much can i give you one other no. observation before Hopefully you launch a demolition your... man will save us yes please <laughs> <laughs> i i got news for you no it can't uh it cannot uh so i have only seen i want to say like four or five wesley snipes films like i haven't seen that many wesley snipes films uh u.s marshals i know u.s marshals i've seen i saw blade way back when and uh he's oh, in white man can't blade. jump right he, he's in White Man Can't Jump, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Woody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Okay. Uh, which I saw, like, when I was, like, like 11. I snuck into my friend's, like, bedroom and watched it. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't have a lot of opinions about him. I got to tell you, I like him a lot more now that I've seen this movie. I was like, yeah. oh, this guy is great. Uh, he's, having a, he's having a much better movie than yeah. anybody else in this movie is having, I would argue. It's surprising and Sandra me. Bullock I, is in it. Sandra Bullock's in this movie. What? You're, you're saying things like this is not aware, like we're not aware. <laughs> but, I yeah. couldn't believe that. I like, was like, what? Uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's huge. It's like, uh, it's mainstay Bullock, you know? It's it's mainstay Stallone, man. It's like, like a, Rambo, Demolition Man, like probably Rambo, but still Demolition Man's up there. Like we're talking, we're talking big hits. Demolition Man was a huge hit, and the uh, the box office says so. At the it, time. it didn't rank in the top ten movies that year, did it? Uh, I, For box office, I don't think it I did. I thought it did. I thought it definitely. I know the uh, story that it's like more of a cult kind of thing, but I mean that that year had some fucking titans in it. It had again that, Schindler's List. We're talking nineties. Nineties is a different story. Yeah, it had Jurassic Park in it. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. you know, those are two huge movies. Uh, yeah. I, I'm going to, we're briefly going to look this up because it's actually worth uh, knowing That's this. Look, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Indecent Proposal was a huge hit that year. Shocking. Uh, <laughs> cool Runnings, not so much. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire <laughs> came out that year, 400 Jesus, million. Yeah. The Firm came out that year, 270 million, which was pretty awesome. Cliffhanger, also a Stallone joint came out that year dude cl- dude yeah Stallone can you believe that shit uh cliffhanger's great i mean it's it's corny but it's great it uh, wasn't demolition man though no sleepless in seattle uh 220 million philadelphia made 200 million in the box office can you believe that uh in the line of fire dennis the menace the tom Groundhog hanks baby. day and then demolition man is like the 
twelfth movie or something. Jesus, yeah, what last a great action year hero right next to it for white people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sure, Groundhog Day also, by the way, is sneaky like top three movie that year. Oh, uh, s- sneaky! Like in terms of resonance with culture. Yeah, get out yes. of town. Yeah. Well, I think I think you gotta go with Schindler's List and Jurassic Park, but after oh, yeah. that, it's it's Groundhog Day and, and this Stevie's old Bears killing opinion. it, dude. Stevie's Stevie's in the front seat, fucking driving. He mm-hmm. fucking he's got the nineties unlocked, dude. I don't like Michael Jordan, Steven yeah. Spielberg. <laughs> That's who's got the keys. The, well, I I mean, okay, so obviously we don't want to devolve into Spielberg cast here, but like no. the story behind how he got to make Schindler's List deserves its own podcast somewhere because oh, yeah. it's, it's really cool oof i yeah trust me i'm a spiel yeah. boy anyway <laughs> i know you're a spiel boy i know anyway yeah. i i all of those movies happen at the same time as demolition man and i've seen all of those movies uh and the last to fall the last brick in the wall to finally come out <laughs> was demolition man for adam ganser <laughs> yeah i love that uh, you show a war t- uh, you make a wartime dystopic image I did. Uh, yes. As, you know, it's a good segue yeah. for, uh, I think, today's topic, right? I think so. Shall we go? Shall we go? Let's do it. Let's do it. <clears throat> okay, so today I want to talk about crafting Demolition Man's two worlds, because he very much so does, right? Agreed. Uh, and I want to talk about those worlds and why I think it, directorially it's interesting. And then I just kind of wanted to riff on some ideas with you about sure. why uh, why the, the the setup is kind of stupid. Um, yeah, but my thesis is more of like, here's some cool things I saw while looking at Demolition Man. And then also like, here's some weird things that like in terms of like structural narrative, uh, what, that, that, that's weird, right? Yes. What does that say? Uh, so I just wanted to bring those up. So it's less of a like unified thesis, more of like, let's go Demolition Man. Let's knock this shit down. Uh, <laughs> so if you haven't seen it, like pre 9 a.m. <laughs> Adam Ganser, yeah. I just really quickly want to tell you what it's about, but also just real quickly tell you what the elements I want to talk about today. So Demolition Man is a film with a very specifically anti-PC message, especially looking from the lens of 2020, correct? It damns the suggest- suggestion that like overt political correctness, uh, or as Huxley says, which is played by uh, Sandra Bullock, uh, anything bad is illegal. You know, that kind of uh, mantra has taken hold and squashed personal freedoms like swearing, smoking, uh, sex, pooping with freedom, yep. loving American-made yep. toilet paper. My uh, God, it's basically saying the antithesis antithesis to our world is not only uh, like out of question, but laughable. And these elitists are saying that, um, and that's what's wrong with that world. So our possible future society is obtrusive, it's automated, and many of its people find it oppressive to the point of outright revolt in the case of, like, uh, Edgar Friendly, played by Dennis Leary, who <laughs> is playing the revolutionary of the underground in that world. in the movie. Who's Dennis in the movie. in the movie. Absolutely. First yeah, role. Yeah. This is, like, this movie, if you haven't seen it, it, it could be a 2020 shitty mm-hmm. Republican rebuttal to defunding the police. Like, it could mm-hmm. easily be that, right? Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, other, even members of like the uh, over society, the the overworld, uh, they find it oppressive. Like this culture, at least Huxley does, in a way, in a fashion, because she just feels that there's like a joie de vivre hole in her heart. Uh, she, you know, she kind of talks about how she likes the olden days kind of stuff. I'll talk more about that later. Yeah. So its solution is to send a renegade, even for our standards, cop, into this society and teach them that being a little rough, smoking, spitting, you know, fucking, it's all a part of being human and we should savor it and you just get out of here with your fancy computers, right? <laughs> So that's is, that's John Spartan, right? That's Stallone. Is is just functionally, and I'm not trying to undermine you. Is functionally this character, John Spartan, any different than Judge Dredd? Is he any uh, different? Yes, yes. Okay, I do think so. Okay, good. In okay. the exactly on the top, exactly on point, though, I think that the difference between those two characters is that I think that Dredd is comes from a world where law and order is the only question. John Spartan is trying to appeal to a society where law and order has been solved, that there's more to life uh, that you're missing out on. So I think it's actually that joie de vivre stuff that like Huxley's looking for. That is the difference between those two characters in particular. So So then that's interesting though, because you're just, you're, you're sort of delineating them based on when in the oppression timeline they exist, not really based on what they do. As people. Yes, I think that and that's, I think that's key important. to my theory because yeah, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. that these are philosophical arguments. So I'm going to sure. deal with them in the realm cool. of the philosophical. Cool, cool. Although it's very, feel free to just bring up cases at any time. Say, yeah, but in the movie this happens. I don't think I'm going to stray that far away into the weeds. But uh, you know, knock me down if no, you want. No, no, I I, uh, I glanced in a more thorough way at this theory <clears throat> this time. Uh, after I had to after I watched Demolition Man, I had to know what what in the hell we could possibly be talking. What about. are we going to talk about? Yeah, I'm mm. I'm excited about this. So I don't want to derail a, it too much. It's a house of cards, Adam Ganser. <laughs> it can fall apart at any time. Yeah, yeah. Like your vocalist, Abe Epperson. All Mm. right, so then you have the number three, the ultimate threat, Simon Phoenix. He's pure evil. They basically do a shit ton, way more work than they even need to, to show that it's pure evil. They even give us a a readout that says, like, and and I wrote them down, but it's like, yeah, controlled substance theft, DUI, rape, murder, smuggling, like all the worst ones. Yeah, a lot. Uh, yeah. But it also includes like DUI and credit card fraud <laughs> and tax evasion, which is hilarious considering who it is. Yeah. Uh, jury rigging. Like he's just all around like he has control of the system in a way. And he's just doing crimes <laughs> like He's called a mastermind at one point. He's called the king of, um, he's called like the king of uh, the Southern California crime or king of LA crime or something like that at one point. He's uh, basically the Joker, right? He's, yeah. I yeah, mean, he kind I mean, of that's, is. That's, I've read a lot of think pieces about that, and that's true. I, I mean, think there's, I, I, there's there is a nihilistic bend that he has on everything he does except I'm going to squash that because unless you think that he's just talking about randomness and has no point, which then I guess he's kind of the Joker, but even the Joker had a point. The Joker has a point of, I got to thwart Batman. Yes. Like he's got a a MO. And so you would be arguing that Phoenix has no MO over anything, but he does have a point where he does kind of say what his point, like why he's doing stuff. 
I think I think Nolan had some insight into the truth about the Joker, which is the Joker is a reflection on it to everybody else. Like, I hey, this that is that what was you there are. Always. Yeah, yeah, I think, that was right. I think he brought that comic. out. I think he brought that sure. out in the way that he treated the character. Right. And I don't <laughs> think Wesley Snipes' character is that. I don't like think I th- he is. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's a valid theory. I'm just not going to talk yeah, yeah. about it. That's okay. Um, Fair enough. He's also, they throw in there that he's racist. I just thought he that was really funny. He really is. Oh, my yeah. God. He that, just throws some racist slurs around. Yeah. Ooh. Also, uh, <laughs> I, I, I felt a little uncomfortable in, at times. Not a lot. Just a little uncomfortable with the way he was treated as a character on the race oh, yeah. issue and I'll bring it up oh, later. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think that there's, yeah. uh, I've read a few things that, uh, about it that I was like, yeah, that is true about the presentation, especially of a black man at this yeah. time. Yeah. Just briefly, did they mention the fact that his outfit made him look like a football player? Was, oh, that, a, yeah, was uh, that a discussion point? That wasn't in the one I read, but that's a great one. Yeah. There's right? at one point he if, does have sh- like shoulder pads. Um, yeah. So does his cronies, but yeah, I mean, he's the one in the lights. He's being represented that way. It's so a I little... think there's something to be said about that. It's also post-apocalyptic. Yes. Like if you think about Mad Max and stuff, yes, they're wearing Max-y. like shoulder pads right. and shit like that. He doesn't outright like play football or like, um, you know, like have a jersey in the whole nine yards. But yeah, it's true. There, There's those like black kind of spiky. Yeah, I just found that connection to be uncomfortable and it didn't seem like it was impossible for the filmmakers to have seen it at the time yeah like i I don't i don't think it's being read in from the past from from the future i think it's like no they could have seen that they could have seen that yeah anyway that's more than fair um so the way as you as the viewer are presented to demolition man both worlds feel kind of foreign to us that's one thing we got to think about when we were talking about the past and the future in this movie uh it was a pretty huge blockbuster wasn't the biggest as we talked about but the studio ended up going up to 70 million and this director marco brambia who created like ads only we're talking about ridley scott and tony scott uh the other day talk about like ad directors being ushered in like an era that this not even happening anymore (laughs) you know like no it's just not happening you have to make a feature yourself now uh yeah this old society of he made like 200 ads he was huge in ads and he did like video art installations and he was big on the tech of the day uh and so everyone was just like like basically met at a party uh a few people who just made this happen uh and that's demolition man this guy had never directed anything no features on his belt in terms of that um Granted, he was very, very well trained and he had a very talented DP and costume designer, which is why, like, and the set deck is great. Uh, but there was a lot of fresh mm-hmm. faces on set. And that's just something I wanted to notice because, like, it's just good when we start talking about the nitty gritty of the details. Like, remember who these people are and the craftsmen at work. These people, right. this is what you're walking into. It kind of new. There's a few aged, like, people who are, like, even who are in their prime kind of situation, but like you're at the helm of like fairly new, like a feature is a unique beast. And that's all I wish to say about that. Do you that. think that that's fair? Do you think that, uh, cause I think, I think that reading does matter. Like the, the fact that of his inexperience as a feature film director mm-hmm. is obvious at times. Like, uh, I, like for instance, all the acting is shoddy at points. 
Yeah, um, sure. And from actors who are not always bad. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, uh, like even Sandra Bullock has some lines that are like, ooh, that's a bad read. That shouldn't have been stuck mm-hmm. in the edit. So there's that. But also, do you think that means that Sylvester Stallone has a lot of say over what this movie is? I think Stallone has a lot of say over everything. Yeah. Uh, Stallone is... Yeah, cat- right? I mean, he's well known for keeping his career like close to his chest kind of thing. Um, right, Because, right. like, I was just reading it today. Like, you know he was going to be the Beverly Hills cop. That's uh, unbelievable. That You can't think of it like Beverly Hills Cop was like a thing that was like... It was a project that they wanted to do. Uh, there was a script. It was passed to him. He like rewrote it. And in the time, they yeah, just said right, Eddie right. Murphy. Um, so it was yeah, like right. early <laughs> days. But like it's it's just interesting that he does that. He, he like he has to take whatever comes to his desk and he's like I see the point here I'm gonna do it my way and that's just a part of working with Sly you know I think so so just briefly and I know this is off topic but you know this is just fun mm-hmm. do you think that he is the reason we have so much of naked Stallone in this movie in the ice I can't say part? man I don't know it feels very Who's gonna talk it feels about very that shit? it could be okay I, I'm gonna tell you right now it feels very like Oh, he wanted to make his Terminator. Like, he may have thought this was his I Terminator. I think so. Uh, I mean, right? they're, they're throwing... Arnold and Sly, this is prime, like, thro- throwing yes. trash talk yes. at each other. Yes, Because they is. have the Arnold Amendment, and, like, Sly gets like, ah. Oh, you know, like, it's just like, this motherfucker keeps taking all the big hits. Which was a good joke. I, I mean, I, I, I think there was that. actually, like, beef there. Because didn't uh, Stop or, your, um, or My Mom Will Shoot, didn't he, like, convince him... Like Arnold Schwarzenegger got him into like he he was interested in the project, and then Stone was like, oh, he's interested. Well, I'm interested, and then he just backed out, and then it totally bombed, and it was a trash movie. <laughs> but like, that's <laughs> and like Sly has like, God, I hope about that's that. true. I don't know. Look it up. Uh, I'm pretty sure yeah. I read seem that. Playful. I'm, I'm definitely sure I read about that. It. I'm just pretty sure it's true. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the same year Last Action Hero comes out, and in that movie. Uh, there's a, a version of the future, or a movie world where Stallone is the Terminator. Right. Same exactly. year. Well, yeah. Which is great. You know, like, Arnold so. is always a bigger draw at this point. So, uh, well, sure. But still, I mean, come on, still. Rocky's, Rocky's a better movie Rocky's than a great any movie. Uh, Schwarzenegger movie, to be honest with you. I don't know. Terminator 2, baby. Terminator 2 is pretty good, <sighs> yeah. dude. Terminator Two, uh, I think matters more than Rocky. I'll go on. I'll go on record and say that. I think that. you're probably right about that. All right, let's go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. All right. Sorry. So let's talk about our two worlds and how our director covers it. So let's talk about the past because up top we get about seven minutes in screen time in LA, 1996, and it's just an absolute battlefield. We don't. We only see like one. A district of LA. That's like our worldview. Uh, so we don't see anything extending that or like what the world's up to. But we do know that the police are completely militarized in LA and crime is so out of hand <laughs> that you see distant shots that like there's just fires for miles. <laughs> you know, like every street is torched, derelict cars, the multiple uh, buildings in the background are just on fire. It's just implying that yeah. this kind of local unruliness is rampant and like probably complex. Like that's what Demolition Man like says a- is like, here's your f- the now. Here's the three years from now or whatever. It looks like a junkyard. Uh, yeah. And also, it looks like the future looks in Terminator. 
Mm-hmm. Like, you know, with except more fires. Yes. Like they, that's, that's, it's like, also it's set three years from the moment this right. movie came out, which is very hard to understand. So here's how, it's like, what the fuck happened? Here's how the director uses camera and lighting in that seven minutes is that the things that I, with my eye, I picked up on is that almost everything must be on a long lens. Now, again, I think that's his ad background, you know, like I think that they shot ads at this time on long lenses. He's going to go to his familiar lens. So that could be one thing. But he chose it with this sequence in particular. Um, Dutch angles are at least every minute. There's like seven or eight Dutch angles. Um, Diagonal lines are really emphasized. And I got to shout out Die Hard uh, for that kind of stuff. Like Basically for seven minutes, you feel like you're in a Die Hard. Flat angles are like up and down and almost not present. Uh, it's it's all diagonals, baby. Handheld is almost completely exclusive up to this point until the final talk between uh, Simon and Spartan, which arguably makes up the most time. But uh, all of the sequence building, like him getting off the helicopter and storming the place, shooting the guys, and when we return back, bef- basically until he's put into cryogenesis again, uh uh, he's it's basically handheld and then the lighting I wanted to make a note too the lighting is less stark than we're going to see from the future it's a pretty contrast heavy film in general but there's more light sources here and they're more organic like if you look at the walls in this case he used fire a lot so there's like a living flicker and all the fill lights on the walls and in general his color tones are warmer they're like orange reds and yellows and these are the kind of support lights that he used in the sequence and i want to make and do you think do you think it's because he had to shoot on location i think that was a bit of it uh you kind of you light the space you have but he chose to just place like oh how do you want to light this when you're talking with your dp well i think that there should just be like trash cans and barrels on fire everywhere and that's what i'm getting production design to do he's and then the dp is like okay i'm going to utilize that as my light source um that's kind of common conversations being had they shot a lot of stuff in this movie like on location i Mm -hmm. noticed because they shot a substantial couple of scenes in a building that was across from our old office, if you saw yeah, that. Yeah, 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 they did. Uh, in the water park. And good so, fucking use of the L.A. Convention Center, am I right? Very much so, yeah, yeah. Which is to say that, like, uh, so they're not building this dystopia. They're, they're getting they're in They're using pieces. an existing... Right, so they have, to, they have to hide the actual building then. Mm-hmm. Right? Because they're not, I mean, if they're not going to build it, then they've got to hide most of it to make it look this dystopic. Uh, it's a smart choice by a director, honestly. Yeah. Because, yeah. uh, you know, you're working with what you got. That's what he has to do. Yeah. Basically, as a, yeah. This basically is just diehard <laughs> right now uh, without the lighting. <laughs> like, it really is. Like, yeah. the combo of camera tricks, let alone the production design elements, flow of the sequence, like, the, the rhythm of the blocking and the movement of, like, your main character, the pacing, of, just the editorial presentation. So, like, the speed at which the edits happen. Um, all that stuff, it just feels like diehard. I just want to talk about... I just wanted to mention that as a note, like the pervasiveness of Die Hard to the action genre. Yes. Uh, you you yeah. look at Die Hard, look before it, not there. Like after it, it's this everywhere. Is, this is very 80s inspired. Yeah, it is. It is. Like it's everything inspired about by it. the 80s, yeah. but it's, uh, it wasn't like, it, I don't think that everything was like pointed out and said, okay, this is what, this is how you shoot this type of sequence, you know, no, until Die Hard. I, I, 
Yes, I think that they're totally and only I, in that again, they're mimicking like, it literally with like the long lenses, the Dutch angles, the di- diagonal lines, the handheld. Well, and contrast it with Last Action Hero, which mm-hmm. definitely feels a mm-hmm. lot more like '90s. Like it's it's definitely yeah. more in the present moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think again, it's like when you're a first time director, you're afraid to take big bold swings. I think he's just putting on his McTiernan you know? hat, and that's fine. You know? Yeah. Yeah. On him. What's he wrong did with a good Nothing. job. It's yeah, he did a good job. Yeah, it's pretty good. So it's pretty good. Once I agree. Spartan has kind of been framed, Spartan being, of course, sly. I don't think I mentioned that. We go to the cryo lab, which is shot exactly like a darker version of the 2032, which is where the rest of the film happens. It's large vertical and horizontal lines. There's a lot of contrast work in these shots because you notice that they work with silhouettes that kind of place Stallone in cages. There's a big shot of vertical like slits against a wall and he's walking through them. Uh, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, he's in a cage, got it. Uh, he's in prison. And then uh, when you watch again, notice uh, that the color cyan keeps coming up because that's just something that like, Demolition Man is the color cyan. If you haven't noticed, it's yeah. every fucking scene. Yeah. It's the, and I, there's something that is smart about doing that as a visual aesthetic is if you just pick something as simple as a color and say this color, what does that color represent? You know what it represents is the movie. It's, it's literally everywhere. It's the thing it's, that it's the makes look. it feel cohesive and simple right. decisions That's like true. that. And then you're like, okay, so it's cyan. Okay, well, what do you want to do when you talk about the old world versus the new world? Well, I'm going to do a bunch of other stuff, but science always there. And that's something that I think is pretty gray as well. But uh, cyan, if there is a color, it's in the, that, that's what's big in this movie. I think, yeah. yeah this, that was a great observation uh, because I, I kind of noticed it, and then I read this, and then I went back and flipped through to see, like, how much cyan is there? Yeah. There is a lot. There's a lot. You can't believe how much there is. And it's just basic yeah, color theory. Like, it's really smart. It's something directors and uh, production designers and the, you know, creative visual aesthetics of the film, the people who are discussing that, the palette of the film is really determined by, like, the creative saint talking about these types of things, and someone in the room at one point said it's cyan, and that's, like, that's how this movie that's a part of how this movie was made. Um, it's also like, it's also, and this sounds dumb, but it's like, it's just a choice to, that's the opposite of what you would expect, right? Mm-hmm. So like, when because they're using cyan to, re, cyan to reinforce uh, danger for the most part, right? Yeah. Which sort of, you know, links it to the freezing. Exactly. As like a punishment. Exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah, which I is smart. It's smart. It's the, th- it's the, th- um, thing that propels the movie forward. Like, yeah, what if yeah. we froze a bunch of guys? You know, like that's, okay, right. what's the color right. freezing? I don't know, cyan. And so like, that's basically why they chose that color, I think. And you're, you're spot <laughs> sure. on in that. And yeah. instead of being, right, instead of being hot for danger, right? And like, don't think that hot if you're, danger. like just for the yeah. audience, <laughs> hot for danger. If you're the audience, it's like, that sounds like, what a like what an obvious and basic decision for a director to make. Uh-huh. Look, man, really good directors do this all the time. Yeah. Michael Mann did it in Heat. Yeah, the movie Heat is not warm; it's cold. It's a cold colored movie because it's Heat. It's like whoa, dude. <laughs> whoa, uh, and it looks fucking Blown awesome. Yeah, mind. you know what I mean. Whoa, man. Yeah, exactly. So you're saying it's like it's heat, not a, uh, but not. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Great movie, by the way. It's a really great movie, awesome. and like it's a simple decision, and it looks fucking great. Yeah, I yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, Wes it's, Anderson it's, these are the kind of tricks. gets all up in there and he's like, you know what? Uh, let's take like eight colors and they're all like brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Could you make a color out of tape, maybe, and yarn? That's the color I'd like. Can it be brown and yellow, please? <laughs> yeah, 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 Wes. You got yeah. it. Can you, make, can you make me a twee 70s color, whatever that would be? I want to see, does he have a hot pink uh, film? The neon pink film. I don't Royal, think he does. Well, Bombs has a lot more pink in it than you oh, think. Oh, it's, it's got the twee pink. It's got like the pastel pink. Yeah. Yeah, it's not hot pink. I think that's a little that's, bold. Also, that's the uh, Wes Anderson Grand- movie. I want to see a punk yeah. Wes Anderson movie. Ooh. Budapest Hotel, by the way, has a lot of pink in it, too. Yeah, of course. He's, um, yeah. Yeah. That's what he loves. He loves those pastels. I don't know why I think it's funny that it's like, it's probably brown. <laughs> it's not true. Colors, there's like so many colors. Why, Abe, why are you picking brown? I don't know. It's just when I see it, I think brown. That's all. I don't know. Uh, anyway, let's talk about the future Demolition Man and how the, how let's it, do it. how uh, our directorial uh, kind of strategy changes. Uh, you probably guessed the future is opposite of almost all those things I mentioned. Uh, in the past, uh, generally the future is presented as a reversal uh, in movies of things that are where we're at. In this case, I'll talk about that later. All right, so let's talk about the nitty gritty of the future. So scene work is almost entirely done on a wider lens. I think that that's informed by a lot of different things. Um, I think we see a higher percentage of the this movie the shots that work inside the radius of the 180 degree line so that's something i want to talk about when you think about like the coen brothers or you think about like someone like scorsese they like to use wide angle lenses and they like to shoot from inside the 180 line radius and what that means to a casual viewer is that the 180 line just real quick is this invisible line between two subjects and you always want to put camera on the uh on one side of it if you don't it looks uh, not cohesive in the edit. So they do this as just kind of a like basics kind of thing. Now you can choose to be on a longer lens and zoom in, let's say, and get an over the shoulder shot of someone like who that your subject is talking to. And they have now in, in like infringed into the frame, right? Or you can get closer than that subject is to the, or the person is to your subject. You can get inside that radius and shoot very closely. Coen Brothers, Scorsese. They don't like to yeah. shoot overs, for example. And one of the reasons is they like to keep camera real close to the, uh, to the subject. Now, from the difference between the seven minutes that we saw and then let's say the seven minutes that we see after is that almost all the scene work is entirely done on a wider lens and done in this fashion. So this isn't as cut and dry in general because movies just have to work with their spaces, but you notice a very deliberate attempt in this movie all over to get closer to the characters from the get go. Uh, Like one of the reasons that they may be forced to stay inside the line or stay inside the radius is like, I don't know, the location is, they're in a small space or something like that. Uh, Usually they can build a set to make it work, so they do, and it's very deliberate. There's Dutch angles, are there only in Dennis Leary's Underground or Simon Phoenix fight sequences? Which are like kind of mainstays of like, when you're gonna like do a fight, let's get kind of messy with it, so let's Dutch it, let's handheld it, let's do these kind of things that make it feel a little bit more uh, energetic. So they do. But to give to to give it a little credit though, all both of those sequences you're discussing also imply a flashback mm-hmm. from the previous world. 
that's that we're getting so, closer. So there is a motif. We're there, getting closer. You know. Yeah, diagonal yeah. lines exist in this in the future, but flat angles like up, down, left, right are more emphasized. Handheld is only reserved for Simon Spartan fight sequences, with one exception I'll mention later, which I think is poignant. Lighting is less stark, as I said before. It's a very artificial, like hard lines placed on background walls, and the contrast is like a way to break up that sterile, boring walls of concrete and steel that makes up these building spaces. In fact, there's a quote from, I actually found an interview um, with the director. He says, I made it very clear from the beginning. With all the concept art and production design, that except for the underworld, that the world should be devoid of any grit or textures and be sanitized. As much as the dialogue in the film is very politically correct and the people behave in a certain way, the world itself needed to be absent of variety. So if the concept is to make everything sterile, how do you make it look interesting within that context? So we talked a lot about using hard light sources and giving pristine things an organic quality with color. We use a lot of cyan and blue and different color combinations to bring the visuals to life. So I just thought that was an apt, literally from the horse's mouth, so. Or not yeah, literally. It's, it's, I mean, it's clear that he knows what he's doing. I, the wide angle lens thing is the, the thing that I find the most surprising about this choice the closeness to subject or the long lens in general the, the fact that he's shooting the fact that he's shooting the future on a wide lens like or, or a wider lens yeah than the, i, I the, didn't the expect past. that i thought it was a long lens film all the way through and then i started to notice these wide angles when i was watching i was like whoa all right. All well, right. I mean, you and I both know this. A wide-angle lens is going to cost the movie more money than a long lens will. Yes. Uh, because you're going to end up having to pay for a lot more stuff in front of camera. Yeah, and think about uh, – think of it, people don't think about vertical space, too, because ceilings. You have to have huge ceilings, right. which means you have to have huge right. builds. Yeah, and also wide-angle lens makes it a lot harder to hide, like, the – the pageantry that you've created for mm. the quote unquote wide of the scene. So like all the, for instance, like uh, he gets pretty tight in that police station when they're trying to manage Phoenix, uh, Phoenix's first breakout of the cryo chamber. Mm. And like, you know, when he goes to the phone booth and everything else, mm. uh, they shoot a lot of close-ups there, but there's like 20 people in that scene and they're all in outfits and they have all these computer monitors and stuff that are probably not green screened. So, like, it's surprising that he's on such a wide lens in those scenes because they cost more money. And maybe that's the point. You know, maybe it's like, I'm going to show you what I'm spending my money on. Uh, but, you know, it's uh, just as a person who's had to be thrifty my whole career, as have you, mm-hmm. uh, that's where you have to get a little creative about which, when do you show your wides? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what do I really need to see to sell the... to sell the? And this thing loves the, wides. This thing is all wide yeah. all day for yeah. most part. I mean, I thought they they must have spent quite a bit of money on those cars. Yeah. Those they cars with couldn't General have been Motors in for the film yeah. to like custom fit these f- like fucking <laughs> these cars. Like everything these they're driving and anytime cars. we see an interior, every time we see an exterior, it's usually a treated car. There's no actual cars that make sense. Uh they even put like um there's like electric cars and stuff. Uh, I, don't, I think that that's just a sound design thing. But like when Simon <laughs> Phoenix gets in the cop car, he's driving around and it makes this like, <laughs> like little engine. No kidding, yeah. right? Like a little wine. Uh, like, by yeah. the way, <laughs> again, and I'm not trying to dunk on this guy, yeah. but like this movie also brought to mind Minority Report. Oh, yeah. Uh, because it has, I, Minority Report is doing a lot of the same work. You know what I mean? Like trying to create a future, like has all like like car stuff and like, 
you know, guns and crime and like, how do you, how do you make a sanitized world and is it worth the cost and all that stuff. Right. (laughs) And, uh, that movie feels, I mean, maybe there's more money. I'm not sure. I didn't look into it. Uh, and certainly there's more Spielberg, but that movie feels like so much more epic. And I don't think it is. No, it's about, yeah, it's, yeah, like there's a whole really. there's a whole director piece on efficiency of budget. Uh, like I could talk about this for days. We talked so about I'm it a lot. Yeah, going yeah. to right now. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> okay. you're absolutely right, uh, and I think we both know that because we've both Sorry, had. Sorry, I'm not helping We've you. had to direct for a budget. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. it's fine. It's uh, at point. Uh, I think that we see also uh, in the future as a part of the future, uh, one of the characters that we need to acknowledge is Huxley, which is Sandra Bullock. Uh, who is an anomaly in this world. We, so we see a slip of the camera's tactics as characters become more sympathetic to the ways of the past. Uh, you know, with uh, Benjamin, what's his name? Brat. Uh, he literally is wearing, at the end, Dennis Leary rebelling clothes, even though he's a cop. And it's like, all right, I guess you may... That's cool. <laughs> you know, like, I guess you're whole, you're like, wholly into the revolution now. Um, and we did that all happened off camera. So we see, I think, slips of camera tactics at f- specific points. Uh, noticeably with Huxley, though. That's the only one I'll mention really today, which is that there's a whole Dutch sequence that occurs at the end when they're making the final stand and like making their final approach to uh, Simon Phoenix. It cuts between Huxley and Spartan. Did you notice this uh, moment? uh, Spartan and Huxley are talking and they're literally talking about like the ways of the past and how the ways of the past are very much like, I see the point of violence. Like sometimes you got to punch somebody you know and she actually fights for herself and there's an action sequence where she's like kicking ass yeah and using the same brutish tactics that uh spartan does because no one in this world hits other people uh right it's done entirely in dutch it's like bizarre it's it's definitely first director thing it's like when someone figure out figures out like what dutching the angle does to your to like the visual plane everyone goes like oh that's fucking cool and they're like let's just shoot the whole sequence that way it just cuts back and forth back and forth and they're just standing there completely tilted and it's just right. a very big <laughs> offer in this hollywood it's so, film it's so rare that uh, a dutch angle doesn't feel like a loud fart in a movie yeah it kind of uh, i mean it's, it's hard. not bad it's not bad I, it's but loud though it's, it's loud. a loud decision it's loud yeah you said it there. yeah it's a really loud decision so i just wanted to point that out because let's talk about huxley a little bit more her introduction is her driving in a utopia basically it's at the top of the movie uh it's like seven minutes in you see beautiful landscape santa monica boulevard is empty there's greens in the color palette it's very bright we're in a car and very close to her face so we see the discussion with warden smithers uh we see her on a tablet her car is very sterile and futuristic and plenty of minimal minimalistic design sense which is not organic but like the outside world is kind of organic that's our opening image uh i think that what if I had to pin it down, I think one of the only attempts in the movie to portray the coexistence of these two visual aesthetics is not here. It's not trying to say one is haranguing another. It's just saying here is a world. 
it's kind of reminiscent to the opening image of just like streets being on fire. So I think that's important is that what we know of the past at this point, eight minutes into the movie is past bad, past very bad on fire. Future kind of cool, right? Kind of cool. That's what it's kind of setting so it can then debunk that mythos. Right? right, that's how movies do. I mean, the the past looked like horrible. Like it's yeah. shocking how bad it is. And then like, there's one stretch of drive in Century City that looks like you're in this weird idyllic like uh, water park. Oh yeah. And they found it, and that's where they shot that's almost where they, all yeah, of that's stuff. That's where you go. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's very it's beautiful. The rich people yeah. place, which is yeah. yeah. There you go. Uh, and so. That's one thing I want to put in your mind. The other is, of course, as I mentioned, her character in a nutshell, like her arc as a character is just she wants something new to happen. And by new, she really means old because she says, like, quote, what I wouldn't do for some action. And then her entire like uh, her office, her house is all knickknacks from the past. It's all stuff that like, wasn't it great? Like, look at that poster of an action hero. That's cool. So. Let's look at how we show Huxley. She's this kind of weird dichotomy. Let's mention it. So we shoot her a lot with wide lenses. And this sequence in particular, there's no dutching. Ran, except for the moment where we see there's not really diagonals in anyone uh, other than Simon Phoenix and John Spartan in the movie. Uh, this sequence in particular does have some handheld, which I thought was interesting because it's all car stuff. And, like, when you think yeah. of, like, sleek, dystopic future, and you're driving in an electric car, talking on a tablet, and it auto-driving, and you're looking at these landscapes that have, like, sweeping architecture that looks like it's from the future, do you think handheld, or do you think on rails? I mean, right? I would like to think on rails. Uh, Not but the choice know, that then, this guy made. Yeah, the Hunger Games also did... Uh, did more yeah. of a handheld long lens thing, which I hate. So True. that reinforces what you're saying. And yeah, and as I mentioned, the organic colors are mixed in with other shots of cyan and gray. So in Demolition <laughs> Man, basically what I'm coming to the point is she's the only character who seems not have made up her mind, and the two sides are battling, literally in camera and in her mind, I guess, of the past and the present. Let's yeah, she's she's basically <laughs> She's basically the little mermaid in Demolition Man. Yeah. Like she's she like has a treasure trove full of stuff she's gotten from uh -huh, the past uh -huh. that's probably contraband and like is in love with like an old uh Wouldn't probably it be deadly. Neat? You know, here's the thing. I'm going to actually yeah. Truly though, if you want to be specific, especially with the seashell yeah. uh I'm excited. Yes, imagery, here, here we go. I think John Spartan is the little mermaid of Demolition Man. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. Uh, <laughs> I just hope we continue to argue who's the Little Mermaid of Demolition. Yeah, Man, you know, that's that's a podcast for you. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. It really isn't, but okay. I know. <laughs> all right, let's talk about 2032 Underground. How we treat Dennis Leary, yeah. baby. So, real yeah, quickly yeah, yeah. again. A lot of long lenses and wide lenses. Everything's kind of 50-50. It's kind of married, which I thought was kind of either po is like uh, not really a great point in my theory or also an intentional thing to marry the two because it's definitely like taking a stopwatch to it. It's because I think there's so much action and there's so 
it's we only spend 10 minutes in the underground is the other thing in a movie that's an hour and 55 minutes we only spend 10 minutes there and i thought it was a lot bigger of a part of the movie i don't know if i thought you didn't it should get that be. experience but i remembered it a lot more it's only 10 minutes which is crazy uh it's because they have like they have like two of the most memorable things that happens mm-hmm. in the movie happens in the underground yeah. one of them is the rat burger yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And also, you finally meet Dennis Leary, who you've kind of, like... You just see him. I'm sure he was... Yeah, you're like... I mean, well, I mean the first time we before, saw him but... is he's looking at Spartan, who's, like, beating up a bunch of his guys, and he's like, what a fucking hero. Um, so he, like... Yeah. Uh, we've only seen him once up to this point. Um, and... Yeah. Yeah. So it's, like, a small subset, and it's not as loud as the first seven minutes of the film, but it's definitely reminiscent, and here's why. Dutch is back in play. Diagonals are dominant. Handheld is not really there. It's more placed in the Simon and Underground uh, scenes, uh, But so that's the one hole, but, like, organic colors are mixed together. So basically, once again, cyan versus warm. So we're seeing anytime they're flirting with the mixing of the elements, cyan versus warm, handheld is at interplaying with static camera diagonals versus flat space dutch angle versus more upright and long lens versus wide lens these this is the conversation that's being had about the camera when they're talking about these worlds is what i'm saying so like huxley it's a mix of these shooting strategies and it's clear in this case it's much more reminiscent of the past than the future when we look at the underground there's literally the grime on the walls there's a lack of sterility uh in the like in the overworld that that we get from the overworld we only really spend 10 minutes there but they collectively the underground and the beginning of the movie 17 minutes of the runtime of the film and that's kind of a hefty amount and they're the most similar looking things in the movie so so can I ask you, like, okay, so uh, I, this que- and I think this question is on point for what you're, where you want to go. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, you've done a really nice job here of explaining the, the techniques the director used to differentiate the two worlds. Yeah. And you've implied, because you've compared Huxley, and also I think a little bit because you've connected And I'm a uh, scam. Simon. I'm a lovable <laughs> scam. So I <laughs> You've connected it. Simon Phoenix's yeah, yeah. antics to sort of the past, like the way the past is shot. Mm-hmm. Why do you think they didn't do some of that for uh, for John Spartan? Why doesn't he generate camera changes with his hmm. behavior? That is right? interesting. Isn't that weird? I think it's what it's supposed to be doing is they need to talk. Like, if I'm going to take it myself out, because you're already seeing kind of what I was arguing or my leading up to the point. And without burying the lead, I, I definitely think uh, you have a point there. And I think... The real reason is probably because they're like, well, you got to have like a home base of a movie. It's got to like be normal for blockbusters. You can't just be Dutch dangles the whole movie, right? It's like, so, they, it's like they haven't seen Highlander. Highlander does that shit yeah, all the time. Yeah, it's not that kind of movie. It's like, let's get right, comfortable. Right, right. Let's do a Batman. Let's do a, you know, one of these right. fucking, like, yeah. So they chose the vanilla path because that's the path that's well trodden. And, um, that's probably why, but absolutely right. Nailed it. If we are to believe that the visual strategy infringes upon other elements of the films in this way, in other words, you're crafting a visual strategy that says, this is what the past looks like. This is what the future of this timeline looks like. Here's them at war. 
when you're trying to show that, why wouldn't you do that with your main character? He is literally a quote-unquote peacekeeper, and we're going to get into that. Uh, he's Kind of. He's, yeah, kind of. He's really just a maniac. He literally says at multiple yep. points, like, yep. gotta send a maniac to catch a maniac. They both know <laughs> that they're just at war. They're just a war machine. They're literally demolition men. And... <laughs> This other society is just unready for it and has no, like, no frame of reference for violence itself. And I think that the, if the, it's not like any one character is like, I understand that the balance is the thing. Uh, no one is saying that. Everyone is like, it's me versus them. So we're not what you know who's doing it is us. But I'm getting ahead of myself. The viewer is the centrist in this. <laughs> we're the ones saying like, but don't you see? Balance and yeah. compromise is the answer. Uh, For sure. No one For in this sure. movie this, is saying that. Uh, this movie until definitely the very is... end, and it's very not believable because <laughs> he's like this movie don't hurt people but i mean sometimes hurting people's good you know like it's a very it's not it does not <laughs> he's lie. very he's very wishy-washy <laughs> yeah. I, the movie does assume a status quo mm-hmm. like it leans pretty heavy on the status quo yeah uh, as like the way of viewing like viewing both of these worlds mm-hmm uh, they're both absurd. Like, but the past is absurd, and also the future is absurd. Yeah, exactly. Uh, That's the whole yeah. point. So I want to talk about Simon Phoenix a little bit, just because he's like the last piece. Which is, I want to open with uh, a conversation at the very beginning that uh, it goes missed. Like when I've talked to people about Demolition Man, they like don't remember the sequence. And uh, it's not that I noticed it in particular, but then when I started thinking about it, I was like, oh my God, it's right there in the movie. And also the screenplay does things. Like at one point he says like, uh, I forget what Simon Phoenix says, but he says if like, uh, if I didn't like referencing something in the scene, like if I didn't have it, uh, I would lose my head. And then he says, I'll remember that. And then the end of the film, he says, you have a good memory and his head gets lopped off. So it's like they're asking us to do little small plant payoffs that, frankly, I don't know if Demolition Man deserves. But it is still written with that kind of um, a, approach, right? And here's a conversation. It's literally the first conversation of the movie. And it's the, movie, it's the conversation between Simon and Spartan in the past. It's like, you're under arrest. That's Spartan. He's like, arrest? Shit. You, and you're trespassing. Uh, where are the passengers? Oh, yes, the passengers. And then he gestures all around the building, which is like a plant and payoff for later when he says, like, I just put the people and the hostages in the building so that when we blew it up, they would be able to frame you because they were already dead. So he gestures, he basically is telling (laughs) Spartan, like, well, they're, uh, fuck you. Passengers are gone. See, I told the city. I said, look, nobody comes down here. Postmen figured it out. Policemen figured it out. But goddamn bus drivers just wouldn't listen. I mean, you can extrapolate what he's talking about there. He's basically saying that the government is basically telling them, like, posting notices of stuff like eviction and, like, you gotta, go, you gotta get out of here or, like, the postman figured it out, meaning we're getting mail, we're getting one stream of oppression on one side and also the policeman figured it out. In other words, you choose to police us, but the bu- goddamn bus drivers just wouldn't listen. In other words, all of the benefits of society you have not given to us. 
out here in the this part because it's too crime-like, I guess. So it's basically Phoenix's MO, right? I read a lot of think pieces that argue that basically, the, like you said, the Joker or there's representation of black, uh, black representation in Hollywood, and they definitely have validity, but I think that there's something that he's actually saying here. Um, these think pieces do not acknowledge that he actually does have a political point, or at least he's arguing that he does. One can definitely say that he just is making shit up, you know, and just like, I don't know, what's a good argument? And he's just gaslighting the shit. But I just don't think so. Uh, This is the opening image of a character in a film. You don't open with gaslighting unless your point is that he's gaslighting the whole time, which he isn't. That's not the arc of this movie. This movie is much more about uh, whether or not he is going to get demolitioned, I guess. I don't know. It's just not that dense of a movie. It's not that complex. So he does have a political statement, and that's his philosophy of society. I think that's interesting. He's also, remember, a rapist and a murderer and a tax evasionist, but that's all, you know, not necessarily adds credence to my theory. It's just... Yeah, it's circumspect. It's, uh, it's def- we're not going to count saying, that against him right now. Yeah, I'm just saying he does have a political point. Uh, and we show that, again, talking politically about this anti-PC stuff, we see a lot of the future being incompetent. Like the opening image of the 2032 rebellion is a graffiti bot spraying life as hell on a commercial district like marble and concrete welcome sign for a place called Ethical Plaza. <laughs> and it immediately is erased by some supposedly like anti-graffiti tech. Uh, showing how stupid the protest is because it was up for like three seconds, right? And also the robot malfunctions, showing that they're not even resourceful. The rebels are not good at making robots. They need help, basically. We're we're all very fortunate that you are doing this this retro summary because none of that is clear when you're watching it. It's true. Really? It's true, it, it, though, it, right? Okay. It's true. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely there. It's just that like I thought this is like the boring part. I thought this is just shit I had to get out of the way. <laughs> no, no, no. It, 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 it's actually like I found this this particular point that you're making really profound. Like, oh yeah, the government's eradicated the possibility of protesting. That's uh, but like in a smiley way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and you don't think about it because mm-hmm. you're like, what the hell is going on? And who are these people? Like, it, it's it, it's so it, it's this is a very poor moment for the director. Because that's actually a really interesting satire that would have added some depth to the movie, but it kind of gets fumbled. Yeah, it gets fumbled because that here's what he does with it, and it doesn't like to your point, it doesn't add to more mining of that in that thought, because the, the basically just takes the bumbling, like the future is just out of touch with reality, because the SAPD. Uh, San Andreas, no, San Angeles, sorry, uh, police department, time and time again are shown as incompetent themselves. Uh, like when society's laws and the automated like demerit system like were established, it, it clearly made them unequipped to deal with any form of violence or like when the first three murder death kills occur, like people throw up. Um, when they get access Rob, to Phoenix, Rob Schneider throws up. Rob Let's Schneider be fair. throws up. That's Rob true. Schneider throws up. Uh, and when they uh, can't get access to Phoenix's files, uh, Huxley in particular blames the computer. 
Yes. <laughs> like, cause it's uh, like an accurate. interface where you talk to it and it's like, are you getting a virus again? And it's just like, what the fuck Me? do you think? That, you, do you think that's a person? Do you know what computer? All right, fuck it. <laughs> you know, like it's no, but, just, but the the computer is an AI, right? It does uh, yeah, respond. It does, does it? respond, but I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's making it any weird. thoughts. It's just behaving, doing operations. It's I think you, answers I think questions. We, we should have known that this is an inept police department. Yeah. Just for naming this crime murder, death, kill. Yeah, exactly. Because, because what? I, like, I, I'm sure that everyone had a lot of yucks over the last, like, 20 years or yeah. whatever, you know, 27 years. Because I couldn't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just could not accept it. Mm-hmm. I was like, murder, death, kill. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. Who thinks that's a good piece of writing? That's horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Why and, did they uh, say that? The other thing is that on top of everything, the demerit system, the automation of it all... The sleep at the wheel, very Wally like, right? It's very much like Wally, but uh, not smart like Wally. It's all very stupid. No, it's all very and stupid, irritating. But yeah. the director was smart enough to include things like everything. All the Simon's crimes for the first half of the movie are presented mostly through CCTV footage. Uh, via the police officers watching it happen, so we have the feeling of a Panopticon esque like police state. But it's uh, it's not an enforceable police. They're not ruffians and tyrants. They're just well. I'm gonna go more. I'm gonna go more into that because I think it's the difference between an Orwellian and Huxleyan uh, dystopia. But like the basic thing is that they're two different police states. Um, but it is a police state. It's it 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 has eyes. It watches oh, you yeah. like Big Brother. It- they can be anywhere and see anything. Yeah. That's a police state. And I thought a, a notable moment is in the first like bigger crime that Phoenix does when he gets out after he does his murder, death kills and breaks out of the uh, cryo place. Uh, he steals a policeman's baton, which is kind of looks like a baseball bat. And that promptly like that prompts him to sing and the home of the brave, uh, you know, as a kind of satirical quip about American freedom and traditionalism, like singing at the beginning of ball games, for example. You know, it's like he's doing a bit to being like, I'm going to attach myself with what America's represented, the home of the brave, the land of the free, right? He's doing that because he thinks it's funny because he's looking around at this world and he's like, oh, this is stifling. This is, no one's, no one's happy here. So he, yeah. Simon cues in immediately to what's wrong with society. It takes Stallone like 30 minutes for him to be like, what? Oh, you can't, you don't have sex. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's bizarre how fast yeah, he, he, Simon he struggles. It. He does not struggle for a second. He's just like, yep. Okay. No, so he this figured would, it out. Yeah. yeah he, he was right on the, he was right on the case. Yeah, for exactly. sure. So, yeah. It's really interesting. He is very adaptable. Like he, like he knows what to do kind of immediately. And like, I'm sure somebody out there is being like, well, yeah, because he was programmed to in his like rehabilitation. I don't, I don't know if that totally satisfies the fact that he just seems like just tonally on like tonally comfortable. Yeah. Like this singing he, thing is such a not oh, villain yeah. thing to do. I mean, I think there's you know? a reason that Dennis Rodman modeled his like look a little bit for a while after this movie came out. Oh, I guess he did. I guess that's true. Yeah. Right after this movie, he dyed his hair and stuff. I think it was like 
part of its solidarity, but he's like, he kind of cued into that weird kind of Joker spirit like you were talking about, like that weird... Yeah, a little bit. Weird, like, fuck everything, chaos is kind of awesome. But also, there's an intelligence behind it, you know? <laughs> like, there's a real intelligence behind, I think, what Phoenix is doing. I don't think he's just a dummy just lying for, you know japes <laughs> uh, no no he's he's not uh, he's not just like an unleashed typhoon or something mm-hmm. you know like Which, he's definitely he's definitely like has opinions and insights yeah. and like can see the angles better he's than really other people do about it and uh yeah and like, also a criminal but right mike and i just did that bioshock episode of one-upsmanship right he's kind of like frank fontaine like mm. from from that game who's like Kind of, he's sort of a, like Frank Fontaine's a businessman, I'll put that in quotes, but basically he's the only person who's like a criminal mastermind in this, in this city, and because he's there, the city falls apart. Like, he's just the one, he's like, he sees the angle, he exploits it. Like, and I feel mm-hmm. like that's what Phoenix can do. You know, yeah, like, he's sort of above also, it all. It's just not a tactic that I would assume... Uh, that goes along with someone who's in content in competition for being the titular demolition man, and uh, I think that Spartan, who is the actual demolition man, is more apt to that kind of like spirit of absolute, absolute like authoritative force. Uh, what we know of Spartan is that he caught he caught a thousand people in three years, <laughs> a thousand. In three That's years. That's crazy. Yeah, and what? we see video footage of some of his arrests when we're doing like the playback in uh, the police station. And it, it's, I want to dissect that sequence a little bit. It's a, it's a shot of him punching a guy's lights out, quickly cutting to him subduing two criminals by putting both of their hands behind their backs at once, <laughs> which is like, uh, it's kind of humorous. Uh, and then the last is him carrying a small kid out of a fire. When a reporter asks to interview the kid, the kid says, fuck you lady. <laughs> like, so we just have like a three shot montage of him leaving. And like he's a renegade cop and look how fucking cool he is and even the kids he saves are fucking cool it's like so stupid uh the future sees him as like kind of a muscle-bound grotesque but that's what we're presented with him just being awesome right he's just a king right uh, I, I don't know i mean well, but we he's, do a, think he's, that he's a he's a brute yeah, as they say, we, we, we think he's dangerous. People. He's very right? dangerous in not yeah. the same way that Simon Phoenix is, who's just willy-nilly doing crimes. But as we'll see, uh, in order to test if the electric batons in the future work, once he's like fully suited as like a police officer now, he casually places it on the head of some random guy in the crowd in order to test if it works. And then he says it works and it's like a joke and then he just walks on and no one cares he doesn't care about justice he only cares about the fighting between the war of police versus the criminals of his time he is well attuned to the idea of fighting a war against an enemy that's what his skill set is it's not about justice, really. We're not presented with him. There's only one or two times that he's uh, he actually makes a plea for justice. And the one time is he's, he's kind of like bumbling around. He's like, I don't know. It just doesn't feel right. 
is his like it's the first time that he he uh he he sees the underground and then the underground is stealing and we reveal that they've just been stealing like food and he's like so he goes to cocteau and he says hey uh like i'm cool with violence you know violence is hurting people isn't great but you know like sometimes it is but you know like not when they're just trying to eat food that's as political as he gets which once again way less political than what Simon Phoenix has to say. It uh, also didn't yeah. necessarily feel like a thing he would believe. Mm-hmm. Like I like he doesn't John Spartan manages to be by the end like pretty thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Uh and he's not that when the movie starts. Uh and I don't think it's because he grew. Like would no. you say that he grew no, it's in the, the course future of this movie? that's the one that needs to grow. And that's kind of my Right. That's kind right. of my next point or the conclusions that I'm building off of these strategies and presentations is that there's something fundamentally kind of broken about this film because it almost intentionally paints a landscape of corruption in both times, whether it wants you to believe that or not, it's doing that. Um, in 1996, the police cannot contain a civil threat in 2032 civilians can't contain a governmental threat. Spartans like is basically branching branching these two worlds and in the movie's eyes he uh returns clarity and justice to the future which is like the common blockbuster theme of balance or moderation between two opposing principles yields the best results that's centrism and that's what's king in 1990s right that's what's king now that's what's hollywood that's blockbusters right Um, So what conclusions can we pull from this, especially in terms of the protagonists and the antagonists of the films and how they kind of presented it? Um, I was looking at this movie and picking apart the stylistic approach of how Cameron Art presents heroes and villains. And I realized that there's this diametric opposition between the visual strategies of the protagonist and the antagonist, right? And this is usually a typical thing in blockbusters because they are each other's foils at the heart of the theme of the movie is usually something they fundamentally disagree about and therefore we feel that the framing the editing and the lighting should kind of carry that in tone now this movie not so much because there's a greater villain in a way or at least it makes it goes out of its way and it makes it kind of like the home base problem which is that and it occupies more screen time the future and its over, over, overtly, I guess, uh, PC ways, it's not the highest stakes in the movie. It's not, there's a guy out there who's a maniac and he's killing people, but it's definitely the majority of the thematic mining that the movie does. So this made me think about what kind of dystopias were presented with in 1996 versus 2030. So 1996, and I, I kind of talked about this a little before, but let me tell you what I mean. 1996 is Orwellian because the people are too terrified to resist. Everyone is like, it, it, there doesn't seem to be a lot of the population around, right? It, everyone is, it's in darkness. You get the feeling that things are on fire the police are militarized, so they're just too terrified. It's the city is an outright rebellion, basically, uh, or at least at you know Simon Phoenix's outright re- uh, rebellion against that society. We don't know about other parts of America or the world, but we know that there's that police state here. Now the future it's, is Huxley. It's implied. It's implied that there's whole sections of the country that are basically yeah. no longer right. under the heel of the government. Exactly. And now yeah. the future is Huxleyan or Huxleyan, Huxlin, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but the people blithely welcome their subjugation. 
and that's true about like Brave New World, convinced that it's the best way, right? But then they left with this empty, like kind of place in their soul, right? That's kind of look no further than Lenina Huxley, <laughs> the character right. who's named right. after exactly. this trope. So. What I'm trying to get to is it's a centrist movie. It's made for a centrist, highly consumptive, ethically lethargic Clinton-era society. Basically, what the movie says is that if you root for John Spartan, you're rooting for a society, uh, for a society, one version of society's past against its future. Both worlds are unstable. They're literally made of fire or they're cold as ice and steel. Mashing them together doesn't yield a better world, in my opinion, at least, at best, it like just converts one to the other, right? So it's kind of presenting two versions of just like the worst conclusions of humanity. Basically, we're fucked in our futures. Uh, we can't really settle the balance. And centrism wants to hold that up as a virtue. Like it says, if you just do the middle thing, it'll be fine, right? But I mean, both it's, worlds it's, are on fire or absolutely dead, uh, you know, like... It's it's an argument for the 90s yeah, is what exactly. it is. It, it's like, hey, man, weren't things good in the 90s? I mean, yeah, they kind of were for, for white people. And also America as a whole was doing probably a little better. Yeah. Uh, and so therefore this movie has the arrogance to argue for status quo. Let's do that. So <laughs> when it's like, why did you make a movie then? I don't so understand that. That's what I thought was super broken about this movie, and that was my yeah. main point. I do have an exterior thought that you probably have guessed based off things that I randomly decided to talk about, which is uh -huh. that I thought that the framing of the characters kind of nod toward, for us as the audience, if this is how movies work, what's good and what's bad. And if it weren't for all the killing and obvious evil in Simon Phoenix, he absolutely is the only person left at the end. Dennis Leary even says at one point, I'm like not a leader. They like go out of their way to show like there is no hope. <laughs> There's no one who's actually going to take the reins of power here. It's going to be Spartan. Spartan is the only yes. one who's going to save us. It's going to be Spartan. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, Otherwise, they should have said, Dennis Leary, you take the wheel. Spartan's just the thug who gets a thing done. You're going to say that your society is going to be built by a man called Demolition Man? Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Who, Hold on. Who doesn't even, he doesn't even care about the fate of his daughter. Right. He's Can, the, like, he what? Doesn't, yeah. He never even looks <laughs> in doesn't. on her. What? So Simon Phoenix is the only one who's not an Orwellian or a Huxleyan archetype. He's the only one, friendly, too afraid to leave. Everyone else, too Huxleyan to want to change. And the only character who consistently offers that alternative has a plan and can see the mechanisms of society and how they're broken from the start of the movie and seeing that it's not a marriage of problems of the old and the new, but rather a systemic issue from the society itself. And his name literally means freedom and rebirth. The hero of Demolition Man might be Simon Phoenix. <laughs> Could be. Also, you could see uh, Simon Phoenix as a metaphor for the internet if you really wanted to. Why? <laughs> because, uh, because, well, what, the, the one thing that he's actually good at doing, uh, is, aside from making everybody focus on him, which he's good at doing that. Is hacking? Is, is uh, hacking and also collecting people. Bringing, oh, yeah. bringing, uh, bringing opinions <clears throat> together. 
uh, he's very good at that, right? And sort of using what he you might call... immediately, when he's like, I got a problem to solve, immediately thinks about how... Like, obviously, John Spartan doesn't have that option because it's not like they got, like, a bunch of frozen cops. <laughs> but, like... Right. Uh, <laughs> he, he does He does have... Like, he immediately uh, thinks of, like, well, I got to, like, outsource. Like, I got to build an army. It takes a village. <laughs> right. And he gets them. You know what I mean? Like, he gets, he gets sure. an army uh, and he gets them all to sort of think alike. <laughs> Uh, he radicalizes them, if you will, and yeah, gives them sure. their little jobs. And he creates a basically a rage mob yeah, that uh, that is used to sort of undermine the credibility <laughs> of the people that created it. Uh, you know, he just he just serves a sort of an internet culture meme, if you wanted, if you want to make that case. Yeah, there's probably more <laughs> if I spend any time thinking about it. Right. And I don't want people to be like, Abe thinks that Simon Phoenix is a hero. No, I mean, no, no, I think no. that there's right. things that they present that make me go, the movie thinks he's a hero, though. <laughs> like, in a way, except for all the violence and the crime. That's the one thing. That's you'll, You're never going to get under that. He is a rapist and a murderer. So, hero for the film? Yes, I'm making that argument. Hero in general? No. Hell no. You can no, no. Not a real go, life hero. But, you can go but, draw yeah. some plants or something. Like, there's so many other things to do than murder and kill. Like, just tax evasion even. Like, don't do that. I'm not saying that. <laughs> Man, you really laying in on the tax evasion jokes. I mean, it's there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you, it's Wesley. You love it so much. You love uh, it so much. Yeah, I, uh, I, first of all, well done. Uh, <laughs> I, I enjoyed this argument quite a bit. I think it's interesting. I still think uh, it's a failure of the director's part to not use Spartan as a kind of visual and creative synthesis. It's, you see the thinking you know? is there. And it's kind of like but he didn't a missed do it. opportunity. He didn't actually do yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, he did it with other characters. He just didn't do it with one character. And that's what I think in the middle of the podcast we were talking about. Like, I think that that is because a studio would be like, why are these are weird visual strategy? Like, I don't care. Why did you film it this way? You know, but he's I trying mean, to hold on to his integrity and he's just getting beaten down by the studio is what I think. Right. Or I, I'm sure that's true. A hundred percent. I think that that's probably the case. He, I don't know. Neither of us know. No, I don't know. I, he could have I mean, just not thought about it. That would be bizarre if he's like, okay, Simon Phoenix needs to be shot like this. Okay, Huxley needs to be shot like this. Okay, it's John Spartan, your main character, the demolition man. How do you shoot him? To, uh, we'll just wing it. <laughs> you know, that just seems weird to me. Well, I think you have to sort of acknowledge that the movie, it, like according to movie rules, the protagonist, the protagonist of the film is technically Huxley. Yes. Right? Like, so, uh, so mm. because she's the one that changes. She's the one that actually goes on a narrative journey. Uh, cause yeah. Spartan doesn't and, uh, Phoenix doesn't, uh, and, uh, definitely that guy from Beetlejuice doesn't, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> he, he was basically the same role. I mean, let's just be honest. I loved that he was in the movie. I was like, oh man, this guy's in it. I, I like love it. Like, oh yeah. Also Su- the warden from Super Shawshank. fresh with his kimono and his, <laughs> his, and his weird two-tone hair that they made his fun of. two-tone. They just love dunking on the guy. They love dunking on stuff. Yeah. Uh, this movie this really very, thought it was funny. Yeah, it's very like, let's. It's because of the centrism of the movie. It's being made for this, like, lethargic audience that just wants to, like. <laughs> and I mean, it, I'm not saying it isn't still here, you know, in America and many places in the world. It's just the idea that it's just like, yeah, those hoity toity elites. Yeah, let's own the libs. <laughs> you know? 
I mean, yeah, it's such a... I don't like the fact that the movie decided to be a political movie because I don't think it earned the right to do it. Yeah, I mean, they're right. Like, Like, if people were acting like that and using demerits for swearing, you know, it's like, well, all right. But But no one's asking for that. Right. It's a scarecrow. It's a scarecrow. That's what I hate about it. Yeah, stop Uh, stop making this point. But, I mean, it's also a blockbuster movie. It's just having a good... It's just a load of fun. Right? Well, yeah, it's a blockbuster movie, but like <laughs> right. they spent a lot of time on this, uh, right? Yeah, they spent they a did. lot of fucking time on this. This the and whole the seashell shit, you know? Yes, dunking on, yes. dunking on Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. Taco Bell, boy, oh boy, they really wanted. They went in on that, man. Yeah, they did. Well, you know I, that there's two versions, right? Everyone knows I, this. Yes. Also, okay. I know that Burger King was the first pick, and they said no, and then McDonald's, and then Taco Bell. And then it was Taco Bell and Pizza Hut because it's owned by the same company. So they could work with one company, have multiple versions, depending on the audience. Which is crazy, because if you watch the Pizza Hut cut, you haven't seen that, I don't think. I have not they seen it, no. literally... It's just a few inserts in the in the movie. But if you watch that cut, which is actually, I think, I thought was the premiere cut online at this point. I definitely saw one earlier this year uh, when I we rewatched it. Um, but yeah, they literally overdub. Like, the actor is mouthing Taco Bell, but it's ADR with Pizza Hut. <laughs> That's awful. It's so stupid, dude. I'm sure it's Sly was so like, I'm not dumb. I'm not saying pizza. I'm not saying pizza. that. <laughs> you know, like, you I'm just not, can't I'm do ADR. That. God. Yeah. I wish I was still making I, sketches. I'd make Stallone can't do ADR sketch. That's a good sketch. I don't even know if it's true. I just like it doing his voice. But it's a funny sketch. Yeah, you totally know what's also understand. weird is the, uh, I mean, uh, like, there's been uh, tweets about this and shit, but just to get out of the way, if you've been living under a rock, the whole COVID-19 parallels are insane. Just to pull out if you haven't seen the film recently uh there's a shit ton of stuff in this movie that is done in 2032 that huxley at one point says because there was a lot of like pandemics and stuff like there's the way in which they behave that's very strange like they don't shake hands and uh, a few of them are the necessity of working remotely in particular workers often communicate over like a zoom app like we see that the uh uh, cocktail that has like a conference table and it's just a bunch of heads that like bob and sway uh even though they're literally in like rooms down the hall it's just an an aspect of society the teleconferences um <clears throat> they panic bought toilet paper is something that someone pointed out you got at some point because there's no toilet paper in this world it's just like weirdly relevant like i don't know what that means or says but the whole three seashells thing is like uh why did we just have a toilet paper thing? That's weird. Self-driving cars. Tesla just had their huge test and had a, like that viral video. Schwarzenegger becoming president uh, was relevant. And granted, that was relevant earlier in this in the t- uh, 2000s when he actually became a you know took political office. But just the idea that before or after he became governor of California in 2020, the U S president was known for being the star of a reality TV show. There's just like, all right, weird, it's weird calls. (laughs) Demolition man. It's stupid. that demolition man managed to get anything right. Why? Uh, Why should it get anything right? Why did I name? Why did I name like five things just now? (laughs) Yeah. Just, just putting Rob Schneider as Rob Schneider as assistant. 
right. uh, in the movie alone should have put it like in the this is unwatchable now <laughs> category. Uh, he's but all right in it. He's, he's all fine. right. He's doing he's, his thing. Yeah, he, I mean, he's he's actually kind of one of the more endearing roles I've ever seen because they don't like make a meal out of him. You know, he gets one. He's just he gets there one big and he's bit. Gone. He, he gets one bit. He gets one bit, and it's a fine bit. I like the I like the call out that like the the secretary of the office would also take the nine one one calls because they're so infrequent that they're treating it like customer service. You know, right? I mean, <clears throat> so there's not Rob even a department for answering nine one one calls. Rob Schneider overachieved. Can I just go on oh. record and say he overachieved? Sure, sure. <laughs> like you know what I mean. Like Kevin so Nealon never did anything. Uh, he sure. was much funnier than Rob Schneider. I mean, he made a career. He, he man. was in stuff. Yeah, he was in stuff. But That's anyway, a, we can say that about Rob Schneider. He exists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I just I'm not going to take a hard stance on him either way. I don't know. Yeah, I don't I, need yeah. to to continue. <laughs> I just I, so like just before we wrap this up, like I, 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 I'm, I, I, I get very frustrated by movies that choose to argue for the status quo. Like I, th- I find that very frustrating. Now the status quo of the movie or the status quo of what the filmmakers saying, both. Like from our both. perspective, okay. Because I was from saying our, mostly from yeah, our yeah. perspective, mostly from our perspective. Yeah, like, like saying me, like. Just stay the course kind of movies. Right, and it's because it's like, no, improve the world a little bit. Like, you're making a movie, and a movie Mm -hmm. always has a story, and the story always carries cultural values in it. The cultural values shouldn't be things are good the way they are. Yeah, and Demolition Man is definitely about... Let's take a moment and look at, like, sometimes we got to take for granted that we can spit and smoke... And fuck in the right way. Sure, you know, right. Not, not brain It's all fuck. very normative. All very yeah. normative. Yeah, by the way, Sly Stallone takes off the helmet when he's enjoying the sex, right? He's enjoying Ooh. sex with Sandra Bullock. Yeah. He takes it off uh, and then, you know, like, has a clumsy, like, clumsily attempts to kiss her. But, like, why doesn't he finish before he talks to her about this is weird? When he's enjoying it. That's, you know what I mean? Like, I thought that was strange. Like, he, wait, you're saying, like, why didn't he come? Is yeah. that what you're asking? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Adam, but, I know. No, but, but, like, okay, isn't it very clear that he's, like, that he, it's working? Oh, like, yeah. Do we agree but on it's that? Done it's working. This, it's done in this very, like, man, there's. It's the most video artist on how, part like, of the movie. Sexuality during the 90s was presented, especially like, you know, being, uh, you know, cis male, like it's 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 fucked all over, man. Like there's some aspects of cis male. They people don't get right. Like he's like, oh, uh, like all of his posturing that he does because really she's like being yeah. a little bit bold by saying let's have sex. And he's like, Whoa, oh, this is, uh. you know, like he can't yeah, deal it, with it. it. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, OK. Hey, boy, <laughs> you know, like, why right. are all of our, why are all of 90 heroes boys? Like, it's also on TV. If you watch, like, like, they all act like teenagers. It's fucking silly. And then, like, yeah, also, it's impossible. Like, it seems impossible if he's, like, about to come. <laughs> and then he's, he's it like, seems, no, 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 let's stop this. I don't think we're supposed to believe that because this is all for, you know, it's kind of like, 
a PG rating or what is it? It's R because there's rated like R. there's it's straight up F bombs. Yeah, what am I talking about? They but dislodge it, it, ahead, but like it's still that like vanilla shit, right? So with that vanilla shit comes along with it this concept that you're gonna be like okay, but let let's just say that he's like starting to feel something down there or something weird like that. Like that's how they justified it. Like that wasn't him reaching orgasm that was him getting aroused right 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 so it, it's it, not it, yeah <laughs> i understand and i'm not trying to be like a dirty uh, no. a dirty boy I, 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 it just felt... I want you to bring up stallone's come all the time <laughs> your wish may be granted my friend because uh, that's what my director piece is going to be all about oh right pivoting right to sly semen uh, <laughs> no but like i did no, but... make a gif on my twitter of just the <laughs> Just the faces he makes during yeah, they're that really sequence. uncomfortable. They're I, really they're totally uncomfortable. uncomfortable. I just didn't. I didn't understand why. Like, like he's actually kind of open-minded. Like oh, I know yeah. that I, yeah. I know he's There's like aspects that are fine. He got weirdly prudish about it. It's like, well, why don't you see what it's like, man? You know what I mean? Before yeah. you like freak out. Like, why don't like you know? You've said yes to having sex with this woman. She seems like. Uh, you know, like this seems like she knows what's going on and uh, didn't feel the need to train you on it. So and like maybe hang immediately, in there. Immediately turns to like, but let's like do the real sex though. Right. And then she's like, no. And he does the right thing and he leaves. But like also yeah. why you, he's like really like, let's break the law. <laughs> you know, he's, he, I like, thought you were all about yeah. justice, dude. Nah, not when it's, it gets in the way of me having sex. Then I'm or having a beer or a rat yeah, yeah. <laughs> I right. He by the end, he kind of has the same point of view that Phoenix Smith has, uh, where it's sort of like this place is stupid. I don't have to do what they tell me to do, right? Like Did the you, war, the the captain of the police, the chief of police, uh, or yeah. Shawshank Warden, as I'm going to call him. Yeah, Shawshank Warden. Uh, yeah. Shawshank Warden comes up and says, "You're under arrest," and he just kind of never acknowledges him. He's just kind of like, yeah, nah, he just walks by. I'm, well, I'm not that's under arrest. Uh, <laughs> I think it's funny. I think that's fine because uh, everything's yeah. silly. Uh, yeah. I do admire uh, <laughs> Spartan's ability to shit efficiently. Uh, no because, kidding. Yeah. So, so, so especially in the movie, it's the first shit that he would take after he got out of the cryo freezing that's all the shit in his body that's so as I much as he's got that's like a like at the very least like a really weird shit right because like yeah yeah a bunch of processes happen to all of your body right, right. yeah and i mean it could be like silly string who the hell and knows, they do a you know? joke about him like it uh the demerit system spits out these little tiny squares like post-it notes <laughs> of like you have been fined for saying fuck and he only takes like five tiny squares and that's that's when he that feels bold. he's like satisfied that he'll be able to wipe enough yeah fucking holy shit john spartan that's some that confidence bold. walking yeah. into cryo shits with five p- tiny squares i mean he, but he feels like a marine right and you know the marines teach you to use one square like that's one yeah, of their you things just one square you use every part of it he's like well i did just sleep for 30 years so i'll get five i'll be fine yeah, I want to be on a. F- I don't want to be, but I'm just saying. Imagine being a fly on the wall when he's taking his first cryo shit. <laughs> imagine being a fly on the wall when somebody explains to him in private how the shells work. I, you know what yeah, I mean? Like that's that's an embarrassing. Know, 
conversation. The shelves. It's you know if they answer the shelves, it's like the it's the who will they won't they of Demolition Man. <laughs> you know they can't they can't break that rule. That will be if jumping they, the shark. If they make a sequel, they have to go to France or something and have something weirder than. <laughs> Weirder than seashells, yeah, they really right? Yeah, gotta blow up the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else? Oh, you I could do. I could do a whole separate hour of jokes about this movie because this movie <laughs> yeah. is bananas. But no, I feel that uh, I feel your argument for uh, this the Orwellian Huxleyan centrism of yeah, Demolition dude, Man is really well allocated. In its own framework, it really does not give you the right hero or message. And I know that that's putting a lot of things on a stupid movie, but like you're only doing like a few things, you know, it tells There's on worse itself. movies out there, but this but, one's kind of beloved and cult followed. And I'm not saying don't enjoy the movie. I'm just saying like, let's, let's look at this political correctness, anti nonsense. And, uh, also look at, but what are we rooting for? You know, I mean, I understand where we're coming from it. I love the, like, whatever the tagline is, like, Phoenix is an old-fashioned criminal. We need an old-fashioned cop. But it's like, yeah, it's, this is seeped in traditionalism for the 90s. That's what this movie is. It's rah, rah, rah. I don't mind, uh, I don't mind a viewpoint of a movie that is, like, I mean, to a degree, that's, like, dated or they made a case that may have been progressive at the time but now isn't. Like, I don't mind that. This yeah. is a movie that made an argument for things are good the way they are. Yeah, Which is, exactly. like, a, basically never an answer. Like, that's never the answer. Well, yeah, it's, uh, like, no yeah, matter it's when never you the are. answer. Exactly yeah. right. It's, like, come and on, man. I think all films are inherently propagandist because they all serve a point. Of course they are. Yeah. But this one is actually almost literally propaganda in the way that we use the term more colloquially. Like uh, right. A, it, like it, it is. Re- I totally agree. Reaffirmation of the state, you know? Uh, just my last comment about this movie. I felt so bad for everyone who wasn't a lead and the haircuts they had to get for this oh, movie. Oh, yeah. Like those the really haircuts. high, those really high ear cur- like cups. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it. they, like I it's like, it. oh, they're gonna have like a, a three really bad months figuring this out. It's One just day I'm like horrible. gonna make a film and it's gonna have like the craziest haircuts and I'm just gonna love it and everyone's gonna hate me and I'm gonna say, fuck that. Why have <laughs> like, like why do movies always have a stupid future? Every time they do the future, it's stupid. Why is that? Um, because uh, having a future is a big offer. It's already like immediately a sci-fi film, and if you're gonna not make it conflicting. Then why are you making a movie? No, um, I'm but sorry. I, think I, that there's... I should have been more specific. I mean, why do people always dress and look dumb in the future? Uh, like, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's a way of making fun of ourselves too, because it's like saying I like guess. when we are the future of like the '50s, looking at us, they're like, oh, look at these fuckers just wearing trash bags, you know, or like, whatever. Like the 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 modern people in Hunger Games, and by modern I mean like the Metropolitan. Paulton people uh-huh. look like weird Victorian explosions of pe- of like pixie dust. They just look ridiculous. <clears throat> you oh know? yeah, and like it, uncomfortable. It, it's like oh, you don't look like you're comfortable. They just took high art at the time and displaced that to the future. We've been doing that for years. We've been for trying all of our shit. Yeah. We've been trying. Looper had those you weird, know? stupid ass hats. Remember those hats Remember everybody wore in the future? Ugh. Everything in the island was a fucking uh, iPod. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Like, it's that kind of shit. They're just like, oh, minimalism. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the thing we're doing now. You know, like, yeah, or, yeah. you know. It's still it's, safer. I, 
I, I don't really care about the stylistic approach. As long as it feels foreign enough and the people buy it, I'm like, all right. Uh, yeah. It's more of what you want to say. And this is not a movie that says anything of any note. <laughs> not really. <laughs> so, Definitely not. So I'm kind of done with it. I still enjoy it. I still enjoy it for what it is. You know, there's like, a, there, let's there's blow a chance. this guy. Classic. Classic. <laughs> there's uh, a chance I'll never see this again. There's a pretty good but, chance I'll never see know, it again. It's crazy how it endures. Some things endure, and that's weird. It, I don't. Yeah, this one it it uh, it boggles the mind. I, I think <clears> nostalgia <throat> has a big part of it because I because I watched it and thought this is a very bad movie. Yes. Uh, so having that's not seen it, you didn't share in that nostalgia. It definitely was. It's a definitely a nostalgic thing. Yeah, I would say definitely no question. Uh, like all well, cult things are in a, in a, uh, some way. But most times, cult things have like like they were a little ahead of their time, or mm-hmm. like they have an appeal that yeah, like something makes it more something, relevant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is but not rare. that. That's rare. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well done, sir. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on that stupid little journey. My pleasure. You're you're love you. <laughs> <laughs> love you too. <laughs> All right. Bye everybody. Bye. This has been a small beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The beans always have new ideas percolating. So make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash small beans. That's P A T R E O N.com forward slash small beans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you! <laughs>